I do too, and I want you to turn. Well, you know what? Because we have these graphics, you don't really have to turn with me, but I hope you have your Bible with you. And learn to carry your Bible around. That's your sword. Don't, don't leave home without it. Amen? And I want to just, uh, all of you who are visiting today from radio, would you raise your hand if you're here from radio? Let me see. Can you stand up a minute? Stand up if you're here from radio. All right. That's a lot of them. Good. There we go. A lot of you don't know, but Jeff, who has been helping us with worship on Sunday, is my radio producer. And uh, we're thrilled at the response we've been getting from radio. And that's one of our church's uh, ways of getting out there and ministering to people. We believe God wants that our first mission field is here. How many of you can say Dallas-Fort Worth needs a missionary or two? All right. Now turn to your neighbor and tell him you're a missionary. Okay. I know you've been standing a lot, but I like to stand and honor God's Word, so let's just stand one more time. Say, boy, we get there, our exercise over there. Yeah, we do. Now I want to read Matthew 6, 1. We're going through the talk on the hill, the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going over some of the harder sayings of Jesus, because I believe one of the reasons a lot, a lot of people don't walk with him is they misunderstand what he said. And so I want you to say with me, get ready. No, not that. You're too used to T.D. Jakes. (laughs) Let's try. Say what? Because this is one. Are you ready? Be careful not to do good works in front of others. Don't do them to be seen by others or with the motive of being praised by others. If you do, your Father in heaven will not reward you. Isn't that a tough one? It's like, that makes me paranoid to do anything good in front of people because I want my reward. Amen? All right, Father, thank you for your word today. Bless it in the mighty name of Jesus. Open our hearts, open our understanding, and grow us up spiritually, I pray. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell them, say what? Now, I've been talking to you out of the talk on the hill, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest consolidation of Jesus' teachings in the New Testament, particularly Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And I want to really encourage you to be in your Bible every day, get in it every day, and stoke the fire that is within you. But we need to understand what Jesus said, because if we're going to be apprentices, disciples of his then we've got to hear and do. But we can't hear the word and do it if we don't fully understand what he really said. And I think a lot of good people, a lot of men, a lot of women, don't walk with Jesus because they stumble over some things he said, partly because they don't understand it. And I'm going to tell you, sometimes the teachings of Jesus are hard to understand. We misinterpret them because we read them from a Western mindset. Now, if I read at face value as a new Christian the verse that I just read to you, I would be afraid to do anything in front of people. Because I don't know about you, but if I'm going to crucify the flesh and and fight the devil and walk with Jesus and give him everything, 
man, I'm going to get a reward. I don't want to do it in vain. Well, as usual, Jesus is often misunderstood here. Now, he, he proceeds from this verse to name three charitable deeds, three good works, and they are giving and praying and fasting. Those are the three categories of good works that he deals with. And he states, in every case, praying, fasting, giving, that if we do these things for the recognition and praise of men, God sees it and he lets us have it. You want the praise of men? You can have the praise of men. But if we do these things as unto the Father in heaven, with pure motives, we want to give as unto the Lord, pray as unto the Lord, fast as unto the Lord, the Father will openly bless us and answer our prayers. Now that's the promise. And I'll guarantee you if Jesus said it, you can bank on it. You can live on it. You can die on it. You can build a house on it if Jesus said it. Now, as with everything else in the talk on the hill, Jesus here is concerned with the motives of the heart. The Old Testament, Moses and the prophets said, don't do this, don't do that, do this, do that. And it was all concerned with outer action. But Jesus said, your righteousness is going to have to exceed the righteousness of the Pharisees, which was just action. You could hate somebody and just not kill them and you were okay. In the Old Testament, you could lust all day long and just not commit adultery and you're okay. The Old Testament dealt with action. But Jesus came along with everything he said. He said, you have heard that it has been said by those of old time, but I say to you. And he took it to another level. He took it to the heart. He dealt with it. He dealt with you and me three-dimensionally. He dealt with us, not just the action, but the motive behind the action. He dealt with the heart. Jesus is dealing with why we do what we do. Do we give and pray and fast for the oohs and ahs of people? You know, you've talked, walked up to some people looking terrible. What's the matter? Oh, I'm fasting. <laughs> and what do they want? Oh, they wanted us to go, ooh, spiritual. You know what? They just got their reward. We either, we either perform for the oohs and ahs of people or we do these things to please the Lord. Now, Jesus is big on this. The whole Sermon on the Mount deals with this. He's concerned with motives, why you do what you do. Now, I want to tell you today that there are two kinds of people. And I want you to mark this down. You can take this to the bank. Those who live for the opinions of others and those who live to please God. There are two kinds of people, men pleasers and God pleasers. Two kinds. And you can be saved and go into heaven and be a man pleaser. But if you're going to be an apprentice, a disciple of Jesus Christ, you're going to have to learn to be a God pleaser. You can't live for both. You can't live for the praise of men and for the will of God. The Bible tells us that many Jewish people in Jesus' day believed on him. This is out of the Gospel of John. Many Jews believed on him but did not confess him 
quote, for they love the praise of men more than the praise of God. John 12, 43. They loved the praise of men more than the praise of God. And because of that, they didn't confess Jesus. Shakespeare wrote these words. You've heard them. All the world's a stage. And all the men and women merely players. The question is, who do you play for? The question on Jesus' mind is, who do you play for? But you're playing for somebody. You're playing for the eye of somebody. You're living out your actions for the eye of somebody. One writer, when discussing the well-known Christian Puritans, described them as people who lived as if they stood before an audience of one. I call this today an audience of one. And I want you to catch that phrase, because you're either living for the audience of men or the audience of one. Well, that's powerful. We're all on this world stage called life. Every one of us, we get up, we walk out the door, we're in front of people all day long. We're in front of people at church. All day, all week, we live our lives out on the stage of life. But Jesus said that the crucial question is, who are you living for? Whose eye are you trying to please? Because you can live for the opinions of men or you can live for the opinion of God. You can live for other human beings or you can live for God. You can live for the praise of men or you can live for the praise and the smile of God. You can't and won't do both. You can't and won't do both. Now, I'm going to preach you up in a minute. I came today to preach, and I'm going to preach you up in a minute because this is good news. Because if you live for the audience of one, if you live for the eye of God, he's going to bless your socks off. Yeah, that's right. Jesus played, Jesus played for an audience of one. I always do those things that are pleasing to the one who sent me, Jesus said. The disciples played for an audience of one. When they were brought before their persecutors, they said this to them, we ought to obey God rather than men. My dad's favorite Christmas carol was the little drummer boy. And I used to wonder what the little drummer boy was about besides a bunch of rump-a-pum-pum. And then one day I realized that that song is so spiritual and so powerful, I brought it with me. I want you to listen to this. Come, they told me, pa-rumpa-pum-pum. I'm not going to read all the rumpa-pum-pums, but I'm going to just let you in easy here. Come, they told me, a newborn king to see. Our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king. So to honor him when we come. Little baby, I'm a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give the king. But shall I play for you on my drum? Mary nodded. The ox and the lamb kept time. I played my drum for him. I played my drum for him. 
I played my best for him. Then he smiled at me, me and my drum. Oh, I like that. Now, watch this, church. You've got a drum, and I've got a drum. And we can either play it for him or play it for men. But the little drummer boy said, I don't have anything I can give him, but I can play this drum, and I'm going to do it just for him, and I'm going to play my best for him, and I'm going to give my best to him. And when I gave my best to him and played my drum for him, that's when he looked at me and smiled at me. Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Me and my drum. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, you've got a drum. Now bang it for God. <laughs> it's so important that we live for the eye of God, an audience of one. Because I'm going to tell you, it says the eye of the Lord runs to and fro throughout the whole earth. And it is on the search, on the hunt, looking for those whose hearts are perfect towards him. Why? That he might show himself powerful. I said powerful. On behalf of those whose hearts are turned towards him. His eye is on the hunt. And see, Jesus wanted to teach us in the talk on the hill that when we got saved, we quit living for the opinion of people. We quit living for what they think about us or don't think about us. We quit being enslaved to that. And we live for an audience of one. I don't care what they think, but I care what he thinks. They can say what they want about me, but I care what he says about me. If I'm right with him, all is right with my world. I know that he's my maker. The audience of one extends to everything we do. Paul wrote that we are to all do our work Whatever the work is, whatever we do, with enthusiasm, as for the Lord and not for men, as for the Lord and not for men, as for the Lord and not for men. Because men, one day they'll like you, next day they won't. Then they'll decide the next week they like you again. Then the next week they'll decide they don't. And if you live for the opinion of people, you're going to live on a roller coaster. But I do care what he thinks because his love is everlasting. He'll never leave me nor forsake me. He loves me unconditionally and it never changes. Do whatever you do with enthusiasm as for the Lord and not for men, knowing he is the one who rewards you and he's the one who you serve. Did you know that it's impossible to do the will of God until you live for an audience of one. You won't do the will of God if you're worried about what people think. The Bible says the fear of man brings a snare to your soul. If you're living to please the neighbors, please your co-workers, please people, the Bible declares that it will come down to this. You will not be able to please men and please God, especially lost men. You can't please them and walk with God. You're going to have to take a stand for the audience of one and let the chips fall as they may. It was impossible for Peter to take a stand for Jesus at his arrest as long as he was worried about the opinion of that little girl and those that were there in the outer court. Because he was worried about the opinion of men, 
The Bible says that he denounced Jesus and suffered greatly for it. And not just publicly, but we've got to live for an audience of one in private matters. And here's where Jesus brings it home. He says, I'm dealing not only with what is seen of you publicly, but privately. Your prayer life, your giving, and your fasting. You do it for an audience of one. So now he's going to separate the religious from the real. He's going to separate the phony and the fake from the genuine. Because when you're genuine, you do it as unto the Lord for the audience of one. When you're not genuine, you do it for the praise of people. Jesus said, give, if you give to be seen of God, God will bless you. But if you give to be seen of men, you get your reward. Listen to what Jesus said. Don't blow a trumpet like the hypocrites do when they go to do their good deeds in order to be glorified by human beings. Jesus said they have received their reward in full. What they wanted, they got. Ooh, look at what they're given. Oh, did you look at the size of that check? Have you ever, have you noticed lately that a lot of the Hollywood people are out there giving big sums of money to help the poor across the other side of the world? And have you noticed how they trumpet that on the media? They want everybody to know that these Hollywood people that make millions and millions and millions of dollars for playing like they're somebody else, are doing good deeds and going and giving all this money to the hungry, but they don't do it privately. Man, not only do we know they did it, we know exactly what they wrote that check for. You know what? They get their reward right then and there. Ooh, aren't they good? Ain't they something? Would you look? They, gave, they, they made $300 million and gave 50000 to the poor. As Dallas Willard wrote, The ego is bloated and the soul shrivels. When you do what you do to be seen of men, the ego is bloated. You get the oohs and the ahs and the praises and the accolades, but your soul shrivels. In Jesus' day, dramatic presentations in theaters with professional actors had been around for centuries, all the way back to ancient Greece and Athens, and uh, acting had been around for a long, long time. And an actor in the days of Jesus was referred to as a hypocrite. Somebody who played like they were someone else. And it wasn't a negative word. Instead of an actor, you were a hypocrite. Well, I love that hypocrite. They can really act. It was Jesus who single-handedly introduced the word hypocrite to the Western world with the meaning we know today. Acting our way or acting one way in front of people when you're really somebody else. Acting like you're one person when you're really somebody else. Do you know that Jesus used the word hypocrite 17 times and is never used again in the New Testament. Jesus uniquely used it. And instead of talking about an actor, he pulled what they knew about the stage and the theater and he took that word and he said, there are religious hypocrites. People who act one way, but they're really another. They're playing their drum for people. They're playing their drum for the praise of men. They're not even thinking about God when they do what they do. They're not even thinking about an eternal, divine, spiritual, supernatural reward. 
They do it so that people will say, wow. Ever been around somebody like that? The offering basket comes down the aisle. Somebody pulls out a $100 bill and pops it. (laughs) Oh, it went by me. Or the people who stand up and pray, and you know they're talking to people and not God. Oh, thou great God, if thou wouldest, shouldest, couldst. Jesus doesn't talk in King James language. I hate to tell to you, but he did not speak King James English. Now, here's Jesus' message. If God has really touched your heart with kingdom goodness, and you're living your life out, playing to the audience of one, then you will give out of that kingdom heart. You'll give out of that kingdom heart with no thought at all about who sees it or knows it. The same way you will bless those that curse you, do good to those that hate you, pray for those who despitefully use you and persecute you. That is not a law. That is an expression of a kingdom heart operating in you. So that when a kingdom heart gives to God, Jesus said, don't even let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Here's the idea behind that. He's saying, when you've got a kingdom heart, you're just a giver. And you give so naturally and so easily that your left hand doesn't even know what you're doing. It's not premeditated. It's not something you had to strain over and, 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 and push for and, 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 and fool with and mess with and struggle with in your heart. But a kingdom heart just gives. And it's so natural that your left hand doesn't know you did it. Just boom. When somebody goes to hurt you, the kingdom heart says, oh, Lord, help them. And you hardly even think about it because it's coming out of a kingdom heart. Jesus came to change our heart. He came to give us kingdom hearts. He's out to change your heart. He's out to change your insides. He's out to do operation on your soul. He's out to change the way you view people. He's out to change the way you think. So the whole Sermon on the Mount is, I want you to do what you do with the right motive. That's what God blesses, and I want you blessed. Amen. Do you believe God wants you blessed? And prayer, he said, is also to be done for an audience of one, not so that people will see you, not so that people will hear you. Now, I checked, and it was not literal that the Pharisees would go out and blow trumpets when they came to pray or when they came to give. They would not blow trumpets. What Jesus was doing was using an extreme illustration to make a point. He said there are some people so out for the attention of others that they might as well blow a trumpet. They might as well just stand up and say, I'm about to give. Watch it. Jesus told us two important things about prayer. He said the heavenly father is waiting for you in what he called the secret place. 
and he openly rewards the prayers that are offered there. Now, I want you to catch this. I want to know if I'm talking to people who want to be blessed, really blessed by God. If you really want to be blessed, come on, am I? You want to have a blessed life. Because some of you say, well, I prayed and I didn't get real blessed. I've kind of messed around with Christianity and I didn't get real blessed. I'm talking about when you you dive into the kingdom 110%, you don't dip your toe into the kingdom of God. You dive in head first and say, I'm here. Now, Jesus is talking to disciples, apprentices, followers who are intent on hearing and doing. And he says, here's two important things you've got to know about prayer. That if you go to be seen of people, and that's the only reason you go. You know, we have Tuesday night prayer. Hint. We have Tuesday night prayer at 630, and it's on Tuesday nights. Oh, and did I say 630? I guarantee you the people that come through the traffic and whatnot to get here at 6.30 on a Tuesday night are not there to be seen by anybody. But he said, if that's your motive, you're going to get your reward. Oh, aren't they spiritual? Look how they pray. Would you listen to that King James English? Don't they sound noble and religious and lofty? And Jesus said, you got it, but your soul is... Jesus said... The Father waits for you in the secret place. He's waiting for you in the secret place. And if you go to the secret place and you meet with God, then he's going to openly bless your life. Now, the hypocritical Pharisees never sought out a private place. They sought public places. And there they prayed. They're lofty, repetitious prayers. Jesus said they were monotonously repetitious. And that they were useless and hollow and empty and meaningless. And I've been to Israel. And I'm not being critical, but you go to the Wailing Wall in Israel, and all they do is chant repetitious prayers, and they go about this high, and they die. I know when somebody's touching God, I can hear it. There is a difference between a religious chant and praying to the Father who is waiting for you in secret. He said, I want you to come to me in the secret place. And Jesus said, there, there, God's going to meet you. And if you meet with me in the secret place, God is going to hear you. Now you say, well, pastor, what is the secret place? What is it? The secret place may or may not be a physical geographical location. It doesn't have to be. Now, I pray in in our room. I, I usually find a quiet place to pray. But it's not the place that matters, though I think you ought to have a place where you can get away from everything, turn off the phone, close People magazine, open up your Bible and get alone with God in silence and solitude and pray and listen. But guess what? The secret place may or may not be a geographical location. The secret place is a condition. It is a condition of the heart. The secret place is wherever a kingdom heart approaches God with earnest and right motives. When I approach God with earnest and right motives, I'm in a secret place. Any place where you come to God earnest about prayer, really seeking him, really wanting to be with him, that instantly becomes a secret place. Amen? Can I give you some news? You can have a secret place in rush hour traffic. Hallelujah. You can turn off that radio, except unless it's me, then keep listening. Don't do that. 
But, but you, you can, right there in rush hour traffic, you can have a secret place. When you look up and say, God, I'm just going to worship you. I'm just going to come into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. I'm going to praise you right here in this car in rush hour traffic. Suddenly, you're in a secret place. You can be in a crowd of people and be in a secret place. You can be walking down the street and be in a secret place. The secret place is that place where genuine motives for prayer Meet with an accommodating God. So you say, I'm going to seek him just for him. That's the secret place. I want to talk to him, listen to him, spend time with him. That's the secret place. Now, the second thing Jesus said about prayer was that the God who sees in secret is going to repay you. Now, I want you to listen to what he said. Your father who sees in secret and hears you in secret will reward you in the open, will reward you. What the Pharisee and the hypocrite wanted, the recognition of people, you get, and you didn't even want it. Because all of a sudden they're looking at you going, how is that happening to them? How are they blessed like that? I'm watching something happen in their life that they could never have pulled off. Church, we serve a supernatural God. And he is a God who meets us in the secret place when we pray with true motives. And he says, if you meet me in the secret place, I'm going to bless you out in the open. When I was a kid, I used to be fascinated with fireflies. You used to try to catch them and figure out how bugs lit up in the dark. They're not hooked up to any electricity. How do they glow and flash like that? What is it they've got? They used to enthrall me. I'd go out in the field and just wait for the sun to set to see all that flashing begin. And then I'd go try to catch one. And I'm going to be honest with you, I did dissect one or two (laughs) to try to figure it out. How do they do this? How do they do this? And I'm looking. And and, and I could not, you know, it was a mystery. One of God's incredible creations. Now I don't dissect them anymore. I just enjoy watching. You ladies say amen. Amen. My family laughs at me because I won't even hardly step on an ant. I'll pick it up and throw it outside. When you've been through hell and back, you appreciate life. <laughs> so guess what? And, and anybody who sees fireflies, lightning bugs like that, they go, how? How? When you're meeting God in the secret place, And you're saying, God, I want your will. I want your power. I want you to guide me. I want you to lead me. I want you to bless me. Bless me indeed. I'm coming boldly to the throne of grace right here in the prayer closet. And you know what God does? He causes you to light up to a level where people look and go, how? I know them. That's just Joe. That's just Judy. That's just June. That's just Debbie. How are they so blessed? I got a secret. Listen, the person who prays to an audience of one will experience highly significant supernatural events. Will experience highly significant supernatural events. 
that cannot be naturally explained. Y'all are acting like, well, yeah, that's good news. See you later. Come on, everybody. When you meet with him in the secret place, you're the one that's got peace in the middle of a storm. You've got joy in the presence of trouble. You've got provision in the time of need. And you've got blessing beyond what is humanly possible. And people are going to look and say, how is that happening to them? See, I have a secret. I know a prayer answering God. And I'm spending time with him, just me and him. And I live for him, an audience of one. And because I'm doing that, I'm lit up. I'm lit up. Mm-hmm. Let your light so shine that men may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Can we stand together today? Do you live for an audience of one? Do you live for an audience of one? Well, Pastor Jeff, I can't get out there and be real religious because they'll make fun of me. You know, take your stand for Jesus and take the hit and go on. I'm old enough now to look back and see when I took a stand for the Lord starting when I was 18. I took a stand for him and told all my old friends, I'm coming to Jesus, I'm walking with Jesus, I'm going to be a disciple. And they mocked me and ridiculed me and did all the stuff the Bible said they'd do. Where are they now? I don't know. Where am I? Blessed. I don't care what people think. I really don't care what people think. I care what God thinks. So you can take a stand for the Lord. As a matter of fact, I want to encourage you to do something. Look around you. This is a full house today. I want you to look. Now think, how how many people do you know who need the Lord? Can you go out this week and just light up a little bit and spend time with the one who meets you in the secret place? People are already saying... How is he blessed down there in that building like that? They're saying that. And I got a secret place. So God blesses me with tribulation, with persecutions, but he blesses me. And I want you blessed. So, apprentice of Jesus, go to him with right motive and live for an audience of one. God will bless you. Father, we just thank you for your word today. We thank you for your blessing. Lord, I pray that you will bless this church filled with people, apprentices, disciples, who are living for an audience of one, the only one that matters. And they'll experience blessing, open public blessing because of what you've done for them. And I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Now with your heads bowed, if you can say, Pastor, this spoke to me. 
And I have been afraid of the opinion of men, but I'm going to take a stand for an audience of one. I want you to raise your hand. Everybody's bowed in prayer. That's all right. We've all been there. Amen. Father, thank you for your blessing in Jesus' name. Thank you for doing it for them. As the deer pants for the Thank you, Lord. Take a minute and pray. Say, Lord, I want to live for you. the difference between power and authority.